Hey y'all, I'm Dr. Alice Hoyt with Food Allergy and your kiddo. So excited that you're here to watch this video or listen to this podcast because we are interviewing Dr. Hugh Wyndham of the Food Allergy Center of Florida today. Dr. Wyndham has been doing oral immunotherapy for years. He and his team are fantastic. So today, Dr. Wyndham and I are going to talk all about OIT. He trained at Hopkins. He trained at Duke. He is amazing. He's also very, very nice, and he takes great care of his patients. You're going to love this conversation. Welcome to Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with Dr. Alice Hoyt, the podcast about demystifying food allergies, diminishing allergy anxiety, and taking back control. Let's navigate this challenge together with evidence-based information, scientific research, and tried and proven practices. And now, here's your host, board-certified allergist and immunologist specializing in food allergy, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Wendham. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you today because you are one of the nationwide experts in oral immunotherapy. Um, You've been helping families this for years now. And I just thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's my honor and I'm happy to speak and uh, hear what you're doing and what we're doing and uh, hopefully provide some for patients to, to learn about what we can do for the allergies. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Okay. I'm going to dive right in with the, the when, the why, and the how did you start doing oral immunotherapy? A lot, some background on that for a lot of our listeners who are new to the food allergy world, who might be hearing all about palforzia and OIT. You know, a few years ago, this, this this wasn't as commonplace, but you and your practice have been providing this fantastic therapy for years now. For years now. So the when, the why, how did you guys start doing it? <laughs> well, it's a long story, but uh, when I was in training at Johns Hopkins, I considered myself, well, they did, they did a lot of food allergy treatment back there and, and mm-hmm. diagnosis with food challenges, and they had their nurse, chef, whatever, blinding these foods, all these little recipes. So I came out of their training uh, kind of a foodophobic. I was afraid of it because I had no way going to private practice. I have a staff member to mix foods and a nurse to do this. I was by myself. I basically had one front office person. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't made for me. It was was more intense than I could handle. So years went by that all we did was, as you said, we didn't have treatment for food allergy. We gave them EpiPens and we hoped for the best. But back in about 2010, I got to know Richard Wasserman. We were on the board of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. And I saw what he was doing, and I visited the clinic in Dallas. And then I visited uh, Lou Mendelson in Connecticut, who has a, a very large center up there in, in Hartford. And then it took me about two years to kind of get ready to do it after meeting those guys and going over their protocols. About 2014, we started up. And I finally had an associate, which helped because it's kind of tough on your own, but people can do it. Uh, I had a bigger office, which helped, uh, than I started out with. So they everything lined up, and we were ready to go. So we had patients who had already identified in my first years of practice when we weren't offering it. And I would, we'd call them, and they'd come in, and we'd say, we're now doing food therapy. And it's evolved. So it's been since about 2014, and every year we're doing more and more. We're learning new tricks. We're changing our protocols. We're making updates based on what we're learning from our patients. We're trying to make it easier for them, cutting down the frequency of dosing over the years. Uh, so it's just always evolving. So if you have any of my old protocols, they're probably old after about a month because we change them all the time. But uh, just small changes, kind of fine tuning just to make things better. So it's been a great adventure. And 
I'm excited to hear you're doing it. And uh, so many more doctors are, because for a while there, it was difficult. Patients would travel hours mm-hmm. and hours, and we have some international patients. Uh, but fortunately, it's getting a little bit easier. We have more people in Florida. We can, they might start in our clinic, and then we can refer them back to finish it up after they've gotten through the tough early doses. So more and more people are doing it. It's becoming more mainstream, and I think it's accepted as the uh, proper way to treat patients who need it. Yes. No, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head that even allergists that are not um, fully engaged yet with doing OIT from the very from the starting doses, that they're becoming more and more comfortable with sort of taking the when somebody like yourself starts it. Um, and, and at that point, a family's already been so plugged in, already knows the safety parameters. Um, they're, they're just, they're informed, they're engaged families. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see not just in families, um, families with food allergies, but when, when they're starting OIT and then when they're going through that OIT process? And it probably varies by age of the kiddo. It's not just the patient, of course. It's the whole family. Uh-huh. So it's, it's, it takes a while. We fortunately have a, we have a, a food coordinator who prepares all the foods. There's a lot of communication with the families. Uh, so she's answering all the questions. She's coming up with our help with creative recipes uh, to make food palatable. Uh, a lot of time, quest question uh, brochure people can go through. So when they're getting started, we provide all the, all, all the information. We encourage them to ask questions. Uh, of them, as you may know, are knowledgeable. They're looking this stuff, but they've had this six-year-old allergic to food since he was one. They've been dealing with it for five years, and they know a lot about it. Uh, a few of them bring it up, but for the most part, they come in with an agenda. They, they want to solve a very frustrating problem. Right. So we just help them out with the details, you know, correct any misconceptions, uh, let them know how we can do it. And the idea you mentioned of transferring back to their, their doctor at home is really easy. And that doctor kind of loves it because the patient, by the time they four or five doses, they know exactly what's going on. They're weighing the dose. But basically, I just start back home and sit in his office, and you can show him what you're weighing. You can take it, and you can just make sure you don't have a reaction. And, and after a while, they get kind of into it. It's easy and they enjoy in the family's eyes. So they become uh, adapters to the process pretty quickly that so it's it works out great it's an education process and um they have to be on board and we we, we, we see amazed by the thing that kind of slipped through the cracks we thought we could people to go am i done I'm like no you're not done this is an ongoing process you yeah. were just built up over these last six months now you're going to maintain once a day kind of indefinitely um so we how they get far enough what the was doesn't happen often, but we always then change our consent forms and our information forms to make sure we highlight some of those things so they don't miss that point. But, you know, things happen. Uh, but for the most part, it's very smooth. We try to uh, let them know there are risks, of course, but uh, they're not common. And you're ready to deal with it because you're facing your enemy at that moment in time. It's not a surprise when grandma has your child at the fair and they have an accidental exposure and you're looking mm-hmm. for your EpiPen. You're doing it at right. home when when the child's resting, so everybody's ready to take care of it, um, and you know it works out it works out really well. So uh, it's not for everybody, and we can talk about that too. But it's uh, for those that are motivated and are burdened enough by the process. It's a great way to uh, change their life and uh, put that allergy behind them. So it's been a wonderful us, experience. Talk us through that for a second about we we've talked on the podcast a lot about oral immunotherapy. 
and that start with a very small dose and every few weeks you take that dose every day and then every few weeks go into the allergist office for an updose for a little bit more, a little bit more every, every at least two weeks and or two weeks really no earlier in, in my office. We won't updose mm-hmm. any earlier than two weeks, um, but we'll space it out if we need to, no problem. And then you mm-hmm. get to the maintenance dosing around six months, depending on how many up, step ups you have or updoses, and then you stay on it indefinitely. Talk to us about, you mentioned some misconceptions family have. So so talk to us about some of the misconceptions and then also about how you set goals with families about what the outcome of OIT could be for their kiddo. Right. So you definitely want to connect that you're both on the same trajectory, the same goal you have in mind. Uh, we focus on safety. Uh, we're not, we always tell the kid with a peanut or cashew, whatever it is, you know, we're not here to make you the peanut eating champion of your neighborhood or your school. You're, you're going to be safe by accidental exposure, but you're not going to be gobbling them down. Now, some are lucky. The kids that we started in the zero to five range, yeah, they might turn off and they may well be eating peanut butter and jelly for 10. Uh, but we don't promise that. We're, we aim for safety. If we hit the jackpot and their numbers go down and they truly can't eat a lot, that's wonderful. That's not our goal. So we make that clear from the get-go that we're out for safety. Um, and then we tell them that it's a bit of a burden. you got to do it every day, but we tell them it's not a drug. Uh, you don't have to go to the pharmacy. It's just a food you're going to buy in the grocery store, and you have to eat it. Um, yes, you have to kind of hang out for a couple hours, two hours, typically. Uh, you don't have to sit still. You can walk around the house and do a normal thing. You just can go jump on the trampoline and play mm-hmm. basketball. And uh, they understand that, and there's always typically a quiet time after dinner or sometime when they're doing homework. That the person allowed them to go to sleep after the young child, as long as they kind of for an hour to kind of watch them. They can go to sleep after that. They can go to school in the morning after the first hour, as long as they don't have PE, the first period, or they're old enough to know not to run around the flagpole where they're five or six. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility. We allow uh, various times a day for the dose. They can dose at 8 a.m. one day and 8 p.m. the next There's plenty. They can stay. Uh, we try to make it as palatable as possible uh, mm-hmm. because we want them to, to succeed. Now, we have limitations on that flexibility, but mm-hmm. for the most part, they have a lot of room to wiggle. Uh, we make arrangements for summer trips, for camps. Um, but inevitably, some so they may stop. They don't consider six when the family's all really scared about going to starting elementary school. We can bridge that three or four year period to 11. They want to stop them. At least they got through all that period. Yeah. Now the kid's a little more responsible. And if he wants to limit his intake, he can. Uh, so it's really considered a failure. Mm-hmm. I stay with him indefinitely. And we try to make that easy too by cutting a couple times a week. That was going to uh, be my next should. question of yeah. when do you sort of say, okay, well, we can try to space out some. You've been on maintenance right. for X long. Your test looks no reaction. Yeah, we're pretty nice. I'm, I, I always say to do it to others, you do it to yourself. And I would hate to burden with an everyday thing. Mm-hmm. So I put myself in a position. We have four kids. I can imagine each kid differently and all the things that the life brings to your plate. And this one yeah. kid demands so much darn time that uh, we try to bring it down. So after one year, they go to six days a week. Uh, and then each year, we cut it down. So if they do really well after that second year, we do a high-dose challenge where we bring them in and challenge them to three times the dose they're on. So if they're on three peanuts or three cashews, we'll do nine of those things to show they have a safety cushion in case they're actually exposed. And they have a cushion in 
and bring the frequency down. So if they pass that challenge and they're on six days, we might go to five or four or five days, a weekend off. Days uh, we bring them right down, and we're checking their blood tests once a year for reasons we don't know. We just do it, and we think it's meaningful, uh, and we all get excited when it goes down. But sometimes it plateaus. But as long as our challenge, we know we have achieved our safety. We just haven't had the lab. Repeat the challenge. Repeat the challenge. They want to go down. So they want to repeat the challenge. They want to down. There's really no reason to challenge because you already Mm -hmm. proved the previous year they they passed a high dose. But once they go down in a a day or two, we want to make sure we haven't lost that protection. Mm -hmm. So yes, if they want to go down, we say drop in. We'll do the high dose challenge. So once again, that just three days a week works. Uh, if they're on one day a week, we're going to do the challenge too. We want to make sure that we haven't put them in, in danger. Uh, and the challenge is just a one hour visit. They come in. I was going to ask you, is it, is it like a, a traditional ingestion challenge of like oh, no. a little bit, a little more, a little more, or is it nope. more of a it's single dose? It's a single dose. Single dose. So if they're eating nice. three peanuts at home, they're going to eat, eat three peanuts the day before they come in. They're eating nine peanuts a lot. It's just like, like they would have had a bite of a can. Oh my God, there are nine peanuts in that. We want to show that they have that safety up to three times our dose. It's three times. I think we've had, we had and it was probably very mild. It was very mild. So we don't, so they just don't react. They really have that, that cushion. Um, if they're That's truly so nice. dosing regularly. That's yeah. so nice. It is. And the patients love cutting back. And I mean, I think that keeps us from losing people because mm-hmm. they, they get frustrated. Oh, we can't take it. He's fighting me on this. We say, well, look, if he's, Keep it up for the next six months. We'll challenge them. He can go down in a couple of days. And they kind of, that kind of motivates them. So, How often do you find kiddos get get really tired, either tired of the taste or they still really detest the taste of yeah. whether it be peanut or whatever their allergen is? Yeah, that's, that is a problem. And, you know, we always look at mom or dad and say, you guys got to become creative. You got to find ways to mix it and, uh, Hide it in things. Uh, they can usually find something, but it's, oh, there's that princess um, in the peak and find that darn food and whatever thing you eat yes. it in and drives them nuts. Um, you know, I don't know if we've lost anybody on taste. May have. Um, it just adds up. You know, it's between taste, it's between rebellion. I just don't want to do what I'm told to do when they're 12 right. or something. So, a lot of reasons why they struggle, but parents are trying hard, but inevitably. We'll have someone do for their year follow-up, and we'll call, and they'll say, oh, we stopped six months ago. It doesn't happen often, but it does. And they, you know they put a lot of effort into not stopping, yeah. so we don't at all criticize them. We just feel badly for them, but uh, we'll still repeat their lab at some point to make sure what it does. And mm-hmm. some people kind of hang in there, and they do all right. They probably have some safety. We're not going to challenge them, per se. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we just do the best we can to kind of cheer them along yeah. and keep them going. And um, the success rate's really good. So that's encouraging. That's wonderful. Talk with us too about about teenagers, um, because mm-hmm. teenagers can be a very exciting group to work with. At the mm-hmm. same time, systems are so robust that their reactions can also be robust. So when you have yeah. kiddos who are either who are in college or about to go to college, um, but but they themselves they they are motivated to do OIT. What are some of the questions that you and dad have. Uh, teenagers uh, just don't do as well, too. I mean, they, you have all those social issues mm-hmm. that are going on, but from a uh, medical response rate, uh, you know, zero to five is great. 
we'd say, thank goodness you came early, five to 10, and we'd say, hey, that's fine. You know, we're going to take care of you. I'll do fine. Mm-hmm. We'd say, why didn't you see us earlier? We'd be mad. <laughs> Make them feel bad, but we say, I wouldn't have been to do you at someone he was. So, but there, yeah, we say, this is where we are. So it's just the what we have. You know, it's like finding that mm-hmm. tumor later. You know, it'd be nice if you find that tumor early. Um, so when we get them later, we just tell them it may be a little rougher ride. Um, as far as cooperation, um, they can be motivated. They're, they're all right. They, they've dealt with it a long time. Um, and if they're just learning about it, they can be really excited because now they're going out with friends and they're 13, 14, they're going to the sleepovers mm-hmm. and they know what they're missing. So the motivation is really appreciated more than a young kid who's really doing it for mom because mom's controlling the whole thing or dad. Uh, these kids, they're getting a little independence and they want more independence. So uh, they can be motivated. We just struggle with them sometimes. So uh, we're uh, doing the best we can. And if they have reactions, you know, we go slower. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's amazing how low dose works. We had one like he was about 10 years old and he, for COVID, didn't come for a year. He was only on 10 ml, two teaspoons of milk. And we aimed for 60 or so. So he still had a little ways to go. We didn't see him for a year. He came back and. Uh, his numbers had dropped tremendously. He was over 100. His IG went down to like 25. That's so awesome. low dose works. That low dose. Um, yes, low oh, dose yeah. is I mean, 10 ml is, Yeah, 10 ml is 330 uh, milligrams of protein because uh, uh, an ounce of milk is one gram. So 10 ml is about a third of a, a, third of a uh, gram of protein. That's where that peanut product is. So that's actually a dose that can work. So you know, we don't get so – and when it comes to milk and egg, staple food, the food's not – the dose is not important. That there's other egging milk products. Another mm-hmm. child came back a year follow up and then I said, I'm not dosing. He goes, I'm not dosing. I thought, oh, you quit. He goes, no, no. I mean, cottage cheese, pizza. I just love dairy products. I said, okay, it's cool. His numbers have gone down. His skin depth was negative. He had, he, we don't, it's hard to measure someone's protein content, all those foods. Mm-hmm. You try it with egg milk situations. They don't really eat cashew or hazelnuts. Right. But when it comes to the dose, we really lower that down to once or twice a week pretty quickly if they're not a vegetarian and they're actually eating the, these other products. So those guys are almost the easiest when they're on maintenance because they can really gobble up normal amounts of, uh, of food protein mm-hmm. uh, without being sat down for a dose. So it's, great. it works out differently for like I said, different ages, for different foods. It's all, uh, it's all exciting and fun. And, well, um, what I love hearing is how much share, you know, the fancy term share making is really happening it's not just you and it's not just you and mom and it's not just mom or dad and it's not just the kiddo it's really everybody figuring out the best approach together and I, I just think that that's so important especially in healthcare right now especially in something like oral immunotherapy where we really do especially in our older kiddos we have to have their motivation. And I, and I think especially sort of that 10 to 14 age can be very tough because they've been told for years, don't eat this. It, it, it could hurt you. It could kill you. And so they're, right. they're coming to terms with like, Oh, this, this what death is. And so then they're like, Oh no, I don't want to touch this at all. What has that age group been, been, challenging for your practice with the parents are super motivated, but the kiddos are like, no, 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 no. Or, or what's right. been y'all's experience? Yeah. So we've had some, we've not started because of that. If they're, if not, if they're not in agreement because the kid has to be. Yeah. A lot of time it is a parent that's fired up, but the kid's not. Um, 
But the idea of having a, nu- a nutritionist in your office is phenomenal. I think that's what you do. We would love to have one because uh, there's different tricks to deal with the nutrition aspect. And uh, actually, from a psychologist standpoint, I'd love to have a psychologist for that matter. It's like kids have to go see one or a psychiatrist uh, because, as you know, I've been told that all of a sudden you're pouring milk down that throat can't handle it. So they really have that uh, um, ingrained uh, belief they should be eating this food, so they struggle with it. Uh, but that's you know it's a few and far between. It's not a lot, but they're there, and they just need a little extra, a little TLC to get them through that that process. Um, but we always say you can always stop. It's not a you know you're not, you don't have to stay committed to it. You can stop. But it's one of, one of the more intense things we do. I mean, we've been trained to take care of things like asthma. Yes, a chronic disease, and yes, you have to take their inhaler. We see them once a year or so. And they're going to take it most. Of this is intense. This is every day. Uh, a lot more risk if you don't if you mess up. Uh, we've had some kids cheat on us and drink milk. They drink soy milk, and the mom doesn't know, or they throw the peanuts under the couch. So that kind of stuff. And then when, then when they do dose, it can be a serious reaction. Yeah. So this is much more intense than anything else we've ever done in medicine, and requires, like you said, a much more involved shared decision making. Um, and we can talk about how important it is here in Asia, but in reality, they can figure that out, and if they're feeling good, they have. Um, but this is this is much more serious. So uh, you'll be more engaged and you continue whatever and any other patient that we take care of. Mm-hmm. That's rewarding too. Yes, yes. No, I mean I love it. That's why that's what I do now. <laughs> it's just food allergy. <laughs> um, well, that's really great. Talk with us about palforzia because palforzia for for people who have not heard of palforzia, palforzia is the FDA approved. Um, peanut oral immunotherapy product that's currently approved for kiddos ages 4 to 17. They can start between those ages. Um, talk to us about your experience with it, how it's um, become a tool in your toolkit, or has it not become a tool in your toolkit, um, and, and just your thoughts on it. Hi there, this is Alexis from the Hoyt Institute of Food Allergy. Did you know that the Institute is the official sponsor of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast? And did you also know that you are now able to connect with Dr. Hoyt directly? That's right, we are now offering Food Allergy Office Hours for Parents. These one-on-one virtual sessions are available for parents all across the country. It's an educational session, not an office visit, where you can ask all of your food allergy questions and finally get answers. It's as comfortable as having a cup of coffee with your bestie. Simply click the link in the show notes to schedule and mention this ad. We are so, so excited to connect with parents across the globe with this new service. Okay, now back to Pam and Dr. Hoyt. You knew it would come because the practitioner in the country and actually the world have been doing OIT for over a decade. And big pharma fell out. So they had to somehow get their hands in there and get a product. And they created this peanut flour in a capsule. Well, we get peanut flour and applesauce. It's the same mm-hmm. stuff. They just put it in a capsule and charge a lot of money for it. What I do appreciate is they did a lot of good research, though. They really yes. brought credibility to what we do. So I appreciate the science. Um, we can do it ourselves. It's just to do that when you're in private practice. You do all these studies. We've published abstracts yes. and, and published in, in, in journals. 
but we can't do the level they do. So we provide value um, to our service. Uh, I think all it did was uh, solidify the belief that OIT works. So it enhanced what we do. It kind of a star on our on our hat. Uh, but it hasn't changed what we do. I see no reason to put peanut, to buy peanut flour in a capsule when we can buy a bag of five pounds of flour for about twenty bucks. Uh, they don't need to spend ten thousand a year on those capsules. We get past the flour like the second visit. There are past the flour. We go to peanut fractions when you weigh yourself a, a fingernail snippet of peanut, a very small amount. We go to that in a second visit, second or third visit. Uh, so we're not even on the flour very long. Mm-hmm. And they're eating peanuts and they're buying planters at the grocery store. Uh, so again, why do they need this capsule? We're much more flexible. We, uh, we're not stuck with our doses that have been approved by the FDA. We can cut the dose in half and a third. These parents become great scientists in their peanuts uh, or cashews. So they adjust by if they're not feeling well, they can cut down in half. They can do all this on their own. And once the peanuts, there's really and most of when the studies did shift over to peanuts. We were involved in the studies here, and our patients did shift over to peanut. They realized after a while, why don't I just eat a peanut? Um, mm-hmm. So it is, there's not a whole lot of value there. There may be some insurance reasons to do it if it's covered by insurance, but to me, that's just ripping somebody else off. So I'd much rather do it in uh, uh, the right way, the whole way. So that's what we do. And uh, But it's out there. It may help. Uh, as a crutch to some allergists that aren't doing food therapy to get them on board. Um, mm-hmm. But for those, of, for those of us that are doing it, it really, was, it really wasn't a big deal, except that we appreciate the uh, acknowledgement that OIT oh, works, yes. which, which they provided for us. So we're waiting for something new. I mean, we've been involved in the patch studies here as well. Um, and that, Talk to us that a little bit about the patch studies, because we haven't right. talked a whole lot about patch. On the yeah, you know, we're always looking for something better, whether it's our allergy shots that we give our patients for hay fever. We're trying to find something better there over the years. Uh, we're always trying to find something that's easier, safer, less expensive. Um, so this patch idea made a lot of sense. You transdermal through your skin, absorb a very small amount in a safe way. So it sounds really exciting. And others in the country joined that company as their medical advisor. You're right. You can do it. Uh, but they've had struggles. They really have. Mm-hmm. Uh, the adherence of the uh, uh, patch was a problem, which they worked on. Uh, the efficacy, my God, took about two years for the IG to start going down. Mm-hmm. It was actually sensitizing kids in the early going. It was low dose. We know low dose actually stimulates IGs. Not sure you get to a, a point that actually turned it down. So their IG was doubling, tripling in the first year or two. Finally, by year three, they're starting to go down. That's a long haul, and you think, mm-hmm. oh, it's easy to put a patch on. We got to wear it 24 hours. Kids yeah. didn't like it. So when you say a patch, you mean it, it looks like a little Band-Aid, and, and you put yeah. it on yeah. where, yeah. and it's infused with some form of peanut or right. whatever the allergen is, and they wear it all the time, and, and the concept is to, to to teach the immune system tolerate it, right. um, which great concept and of course what you're saying of the concept of just having a patch is so nice but but there definitely have been some challenges with it so that's that's yeah. good that things are things are, are are looking better now and i'm I'm so happy to hear that you guys are involved in that yeah well i don't know if that'll ever come to fruition it may uh but they're struggling with it and uh, i think in compliance with putting a patch on the sweaty kids it falls off it two hours later so it, 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 it's a challenge. It may be for the most the person who don't want to use their GI tract. 
uh, it could be useful. So again, if we get more tools in our toolbox, that's great, but I think it's going to be a dominant one. And the other biggie would be the sublingual, if you want to go into there. Yes, let's talk about sublingual <laughs> or slit. So, exactly. So, you know, we, so we talk about subcutaneous, is allergy shots, subcutaneous immunotherapy, oral immunotherapies by mouth, and sublingual immunotherapy is under the tongue. And, and for and our listeners, subcutaneous immunotherapy is not a form of immunotherapy for foods. That is right. for venoms like honeybee stings and for pollens or air allergens. But there's, right. no sub, there's no subcutaneous immunotherapy for foods yet. There is oral immunotherapy. Correct. And there is correct. Sub, um, the patch, transdermal and immunotherapy, right. um, that is still experimental. Um, but I don't think anybody in, in private practice is doing that either because it's it's so involved. I mean, I know you're involved with think anybody's doing that outside of a study i'm not sure how they would no no they wouldn't do it outside the study no because you that, that's the whole problem is making that darn patch yeah so uh no one would be doing that and you're right all those form of immunotherapy i was referring more to the field of allergy that we're comfortable yeah. with as allergists is desensitizing people to various things as you mentioned from insects to arrow allergens to ragweed whatnot but with food we are still with oral uh syndrome may come um but sublingual is exciting. Sublingual has been around for a long time in the field of allergy uh, for uh, hay fever, for aero, aero allergens, environmental allergens. Um, done more in Europe than the U.S., but it has done here in Florida with oak tree pollen being our huge pollen for two months in the spring. We're doing sublingual oak for our hay fever patients through their eyes and nose are a mess in the spring. And, uh, and talk about today. what sublingual, what the process, what it really involves. Like what would a patient expect if, if they were about to, on sublingual immunotherapy. Exactly. So again, uh, the shots in the arm, the oils in the mouth, the sublingual's under the tongue, and we're giving you the allergen you're allergic to. So if it's peanut, we're going to give you a peanut flour and solution, a liquid, just like you would take oral liquid. Take a lot smaller amount of the tongue. You don't need the larger amount. Uh, and you just place it under the tongue, and you hold it for two minutes. And we're talking about 0.1, 0 0.2 so a very small amount of a teaspoon. We're talking about mm -hmm. a bit, tiny one twentieth, one twenty fifth of a teaspoon. So very small. Put under your tongue. You should hold it for two minutes. I mean, it's not that much volume, but always mm -hmm. two minutes, and then you're normal. You can swallow whatever, and you can't drink for five minutes. So, and then your day starts. So that's about it. Uh, I don't know about the wait period. I think it's going to be much less necessary because this is a much safer way to go. If you compare what we know about the observation period, yeah, the wait after period, a two-hour period, mm -hmm. exactly. That is so critical to oral immunotherapy. Um, may not be as important with sublingual. Um, if you look at sublingual aeroallergens, the airborne mm -hmm. shots compared to the allergy shots, sublingual is much safer. Uh, we have reactions to our allergy shots. You have very few reactions to sublingual. So I mentioned oak tree. There's companies that are now making dust mite, sublingual, grass, sublingual, ragweed. So the, the technique is there for other diseases. Uh, so it makes sense to do it for foods. And it's been done. I mean, some of the early studies were back in 2008, 2009, before food OIT even took off. And it worked well. And it's amazing how it kind of disappeared. Uh, OIT kind of just stormed to the forefront. And OIT came on with bangbusters. I mean, Dr. Wasserman and some of the other guys that started it 
they were aiming for eight peanuts, the top dose. It challenged you to three times that to 24 peanuts, which is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they were showing it worked. Everybody's like, wow, look how good that is. And so, one goal was perfect way. It would have them to three to four peanuts. Not, not much more than that. Mm-hmm. And we thought people go, oh my gosh, that's no good. OIT can go to 24 peanuts. So, Silverlingo just got booted. But now, our goal of going to 18 has changed. Is that Pavorzia, the peanut flour and capsules, the FDA approved product, is only a third of a peanut. Yeah, right now, it's twice about one peanut. So, 300 milligrams of protein, which is about one large peanut. So, they only mm-hmm. got one peanut, not eight peanuts. So, we're like, well, they're only going to one peanut, and they put a lot of time in studying this darn thing. Maybe we, maybe we don't need eight. So we, everybody's cut down to one or two or three peanuts. And we're, we're aiming all of our food in that <laughs> range of 500 milligrams to a gram of protein. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're going for safety now, we're talking about Silverlingo again. Silverlingo was kicked off the table because it couldn't provide hefty protection. Right. But now that we're talking about a safe dose, now you got to bring Silverlingo back into the discussion. It wins down. It wins big time when it comes to safety of the whole process. So you don't have the reactions of the buildup phase process. Yeah, you can have in OIT. But in sublingual, it's almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. So we're real excited now to start as our new patients come in, looking at those older kids, you mentioned 10 to 14, any teenage years, um, and even the 5 to 10-year-olds that may have huge levels and had had huge reactions in the past, mm-hmm. we're thinking they might have a much better course. Yeah. Um, and for a while, we thought sublingual would be a bridge to oral immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. But I think it might be a road to the end all by itself. I don't know why you have to bridge. If you can get protected to three to four peanuts, well, what are you bridging for? Right. So it I'm all comes back some... to what the goal is. Right. If you get sublingual and do well, and you're on three days a week, put something on your tongue for two minutes a day, now we're talking about easy, and they're going to have anybody dropping out the taste or worried about that rest. So that's hard. Well, I I think it's all so exciting that there are stars like for long the only for food allergy families was here's your EpiPen, here's your action plan, avoid next year. And I mean it's just disheartening families it's so disheartening for mm-hmm. physicians um that 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 is was for for so long and so now it's definitely exciting that there are options but all that to say that it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of our who who is desensitization right for and i saw an advertisement the other day um saying take a proactive approach peanut allergy and it was for um it was and i i I very much disagree with that message because avoidance is still a plan you have to be in the right season your family has to be in 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 the right Mm -hmm. season of life in order to commit to doing therapy or sublingual immunotherapy or participating in research of patch um and it is proactive 
to be engaging with your allergist and talking about what therapies are becoming available. When might be a good time for my son or my daughter to participate in a desensitization protocol? Um, So I just want to, I know we're talking a lot about desensitization and immunotherapy and it's so important, but I just want to give a shout out to the families out there who maybe have felt by some of their food allergy friends like, oh, you should be desensitization. It is such a personal decision. It is such a family-focused decision that that you have to make. And you are being proactive having those discussions, which is why it's so important to see your allergist every year because there's so much coming out um, that right. is on the horizon. Well, that's a great point. I, I get worried when and money is involved. I just want to be even they get pushed sometimes more than they should. And it's one thing to push a drug on somebody for a disease that's going to help them out. I like that benefit. But when it comes to the whole, uh, it comes with a risk. And if they're not motivated to do it, they shouldn't do it. Uh, it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. We have people who really should not be doing OIT. They're very content. Yes. I know this one young adult said, I never had peanut butter, but I eat sunflower butter. And my wife says it's better. So I don't even care. So he's happy. <laughs> right. He was a country boy. He ate right. his sunflower butter every day on a sandwich. So he had no interest in eating it. So we don't want to push this. Uh, but unfortunately, when companies are involved, they want to sell as much drug as they can. I do fear that they will reach out to allergists who aren't engaged in this and might make it easy to do it. That would be a mistake. I hope it doesn't go beyond allergists or anybody else doing it. Um, so that's not good. It should be people that are committed to it to understand it's just one of the main things we can do with patients. And uh, in fact, in years of treatment for food therapy, the proof to us it's possible not doing anything. It's quite mm-hmm. possible just to avoid. And be careful uh, for those people who, unfortunately, don't succeed in their careful uh, behavior or are just too burdened psychologically. They really want to get over it, that we're here to help. So, um, great point. Yeah. And we need to be balanced. we wrap up, I want to um, give you an opportunity to talk to our allergist listeners and our, our, our physician listeners, our nurse listeners. Um, there's an amazing conference coming up. Um, I know it's amazing because I have attended it before, and it is absolutely amazing. But I would love for you to talk a little bit about the conference coming up in Dallas and some of the some of the amazing topics all about the food allergy and immunotherapy. Yeah, it's actually a unique meeting from a uh, physician point. We typically go to these big national meetings with uh, sponsorship from companies, and it's all big hula hoo and big uh, dinners and exhibit halls and all this people trying to convert, convert you into doing. This is a doctor-run group. It's called uh, FAST, Food Allergy Support Team. And the Food Allergy Support Team we created about four or five years ago. Five, it's our fifth annual meeting, so five years ago. And it was just a group of allergists doing OIT, and we thought we needed to share what we were doing with each other, and we had to help new people. Um, our national organizations, our allergy organizations, weren't on board with this. They didn't think this is really what they could get involved with. So your groups have to, you know, be a little more careful and check every box and make sure everybody's happy with the way they do things. So I understand that. But patients were waiting. So we didn't want to wait for them to come around to a drug come down on the market or some other level of, of approval mm-hmm. they needed. So we started this group to educate our doctors. And we've trained so many. Um, these folks have come by, uh, come to this national meeting. Uh, we have a online um, kind of a bulletin board thing where doctors exchange ideas and thoughts. Um, so this meeting is just a, it's what we say it's the most efficient meeting. You come in Friday afternoon, you're out Saturday afternoon. So it's quick, wham, bam, 20-minute talks. 
all practical about mm-hmm. the uh, office setup, staffing, uh, dosing, food sources, the varieties of food sources, what to do with reactions during buildup, what to do with reactions during maintenance, alternatives like splint, the sublingual immunotherapy. Uh, so it covers the whole waterfront of food. And it's just not been a great day in the past this year in June. It's going to be another great meeting. Uh, we'll have over 100 doctors show up from all over the country, and they all, as you said, they loved it. So it's good stuff, and we hope you have another good one this year and uh, get more folks on board. It's amazing, and it's amazing to meet other people who are working in the space because, as families will tell you, there there are not a lot of OIT providers in the country, and, and that's why are having to travel hours and hours and hours. And when you're doing something like well, you know, therapy, I mean, it's every two weeks for six months. And so yeah. um, I know some of our listeners are going to be very excited to hear that more doctors are going to be learning about oral immunotherapy. More of us can offer it. What did you say? It does help because early on, patients will come and sometimes say, why are you the only one doing it? Why are so few doing it? Is it really legit? Mm-hmm. So having more people has to add added legitimacy to it. So that does help us. We wanted to prove that this is we're not fringe doctors doing this by no means anymore. That's not the case. But what always happens, there's always some people that kind of spoil a good time. There are some people taking advantage of this or a couple of clinics that are doing a little offbeat stuff. So you always got to watch that. And we hope people aren't getting suckered into that kind of thing. So they should definitely check out our FAST website or speak to someone like you with your clinic who's dedicated their career to it. They really know what's going on and, and are following. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not the science, just a terrible term these days, but following the allergy literature anyway and yeah. what works and uh, not going over the edge and taking advantage yes. of people because people are hungry for answers and uh, desperate. And uh, some of these clinics are like the snake oil salesman of old are taking mm-hmm. advantage of some of those folks. No, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and we always encourage families to um, find evidence based information, and that's all we like to provide on the podcast or on foodallergy.com. Um, and oftentimes I link to the fastoit.org website. Yes. That's the website. Yes. Um, and yes. you also have a great map. We're on the map. You guys are on the map. Um, but it has a map of OIT providers. Um, and so when families ask me about somebody in this place or that place, then I can look at that. I can look at that um, bulletin board email that you mentioned and even if it's someone that I haven't personally met, I'm able to reach out to people and 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 find good, solid, evidence-based providers um, who who want to help those families that that are looking for a, a way to to help their kiddo not be as allergic anymore. Um, so it's 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 really exciting to talk about this. I'm so grateful that that you decided to come on the podcast. Thank you so much, and the video version of the podcast our viewers. Um, so thank you sure so future. much, Hugh. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to make sure any pearl you want to buy um, to our families who are listening, who are on the fence about OIT or maybe don't really know where to start? Well, I'd say, you know, we can do any food too. You know, as long as we have, as long as we have a food source, we can desensitize you. Now we haven't done shellfish yet because shellfish, we don't have a good source. I mean, you know, eat shrimp every day. I mean, we talk about these Asian chips or something, maybe we could quantify the amount of protein in a shrimp chip. Maybe you could do that throughout the year. But we're not there yet. Uh, but fortunately, shellfish is not hard to avoid. It's not mixing things. So those people do okay with avoidance. We're not trying to create business. We're trying to create wellness. If there's not a problem, it's only good. 
there, so it's basically not where you need to go to. But we can do other foods. We can do all this, all the tree nuts. I mean, you got some weird legumes and chickpeas. Like the main food, egg milk, peanuts. So we can do them together. So if you have multiple foods, we can do multiple foods at one time. If you're not going through four courses, six months each, we can combine excuse me, three or four, usually not more than that, together. And people do fine. So um, that's all. And um, I appreciate your podcast. You're New Orleans. So keep it up. Thank you. I like what you said. We're not trying to create illness. We're trying to create wellness. I love that. that. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Wyndham, for coming on. Well, thank you, my dear. I appreciate it. It was wonderful. That's the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Of course, I'm an allergist, but I'm not your allergist. So talk with your allergist about what you learned on this episode and visit us at foodallergyandyourkiddo.com where you can submit your family's questions. God bless you and God bless your family.